0: Welcome to the Cook Center Podcast. And here's your host. Here's Falk. Gordon is right, throwing against his body there. And a
1: flag. And a touchdown. What a catch. It's River
0: Craycraft. Let's decline that pass interference penalty. What a throw and a catch. This will help us fall asleep, Lois. <laughs>
2: Once they're gone,
0: this will be a great place to raise cheap beef. Up yours, Sting. Yeah, yeah. Hey, what's that song he does that I hate? Uh, Desert Rose. Yeah, yeah, that song sucks. Michael Preston. How on earth did River Craycraft catch that football? How did he do that? I have I have watched that one play probably 10 or 11 times now. And I have no idea how that young man contorted his body to catch that football. Not a single freaking clue. Welcome to the Coug Center Hour. Another, <laughs> I don't know how to explain this anymore. I legitimately have no clue. Just like that River Craycraft catch, I have no clue how to explain this. I have no clue how to explain these first five games. I I said this last year on this show that you get you know that that win over Oregon when they beat them at Otson in what was the same week last year, the fifth game, you get to three and two in just the weirdest way possible, and boy. In 2016, they got to 3-2 and two in the weirdest way possible. I, it, like, look, if I had told you at the beginning of the year that through the first five games of the season, Washington State was going to be 3-2, and two, you would have said they were going to lose to Boise State and Stanford. And they probably would have eked one out against Oregon, Right? Like that that is what we would have said before the year started. Not losing to Eastern close, losing to Boise State close, beating the well we always kind of thought I thought Idaho was worse than Eastern, but whatever. But not smacking the tar out of Oregon and then putting a more complete performance together against Stanford. That was more complete I, I, I don't care that there were nine less points on the scoreboard for the offense. That was a more complete performance. Offensively, defensively, special teams-wise, outside of Eric Powell's missed field goal, that was a more complete performance. That was exactly what we expect out of the offense. That was exactly what we expect out of the defense. And again, outside of one bad field goal, that was exactly what we expect out of special teams. It wasn't even forty-two sixteen. It was forty-two to ten because that was not a touchdown catch on that last play of the game. It was forty-two to ten. The number fifteen team in the country, and I—I I, I don't care if it's not Stanford of last year, a few years ago, whatever. I don't care. It—it's Stanford. You know what I mean? It's like you go to a high school reunion and you know the the girl or the guy you coveted back in high school is put on a little weight and all of a sudden got adult onset acne or something but it's still that person right like it's still that guy or girl right it's still stanford it's still oregon it's still both of those schools and for WSU to not only beat Stanford, but to do it on the road. And I know there's not... You know, Mike Lee is right. You kind of got to bring your own energy to that stadium. Because people are going to be reading the newspaper. And there. are Everybody else noticed the woman reading the book behind the woman reading the newspaper? Oh God, that got pointed out to me on Twitter earlier this week. There was a woman reading a book behind the woman that was reading the newspaper. Like, that... <laughs> the... The utter disinterest. I mean, and I don't look. I do I'm not going to blame anybody because I I watched some really bad football in the last ten years. But at least at least now they have their popcorn guy. At least now both schools have somebody in a game where we beat the crap out of each other that they have to show disinterest or aloofness in the result. I don't care that Stanford is not Stanford. They needed that. They needed to beat the tar out of them. They needed to just take Stanford out behind the woodshed and work him over. And they did it. Outside of two really bad throws, Luke Falk looked like Luke Falk again. And I mean, he, he looked that way against Oregon, but I, even more so in this game. It just it's, it's those big stones throws. Those throws he needed to make in the first two games of the year those throws he 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 had the confidence last year to make and knew he could make that throw to Tavares Martin for the first touchdown his second touchdown the pass was even a few seconds late. i think martin was open about maybe a second before he threw the ball that touchdown pass to Gabe Marks the third the long third down conversion to Craycraft those are those big stones throws we need Luke Falk to make. Or you need Luke Falk to make for this team to be successful. That is what you need out of Luke Falk. You need him to be that guy again. And I think they are getting that. River The re-emergence of River Craycraft when Luke is Big Stone's Luke. When he's Big Stone's. River Craycraft is going to catch everything. And Mike Leach said last week that, or I I think it was after the game maybe, I can't remember exactly when, that River's the kind of guy that needs to leave the extemporaneous crap out of his head. And just remember, he needs to catch football. And boy, did he ever. And boy, did he look like the old River Craycraft again. Like that kid you fell in love with the last three years. Because he had disappeared the first few games of the season. Some uncharacteristic drops. He did make a few catches. That big long one again against Oregon that Luke dropped in on a dime over the defenders. But he did not look like himself. And I am so happy to have that that guy back. The running backs continue to look good. The offensive line continues to maul despite a few procedural penalties, pre snap. Luke Falk made up for it. Through that touchdown and that long third and goal play. Screw it. Let's go over the top of everybody. That was as close to a perfect performance as you're going to get out of this football team. And I think for the first time since Mike Leach has been at Washington State now in his fifth year, you're seeing the offense in these last three games hum like it should. 56-51, 42 points. I mean, you score that many points, it doesn't even matter if your defense plays well. And they played extremely well against... Against uh, against Stanford and Oregon, it just does not matter. Doesn't matter at all. If you can score that many, well, it does matter a little bit. I take it back. If you can score that many points, your defense can afford to give up thirty-five points. But we'll bring it back around to that point on the defense. They played out of their skulls. Absolutely extraordinary football on Saturday. Isaac Dotson had two turnovers. Shalom Luwani with another interception. Hercules Mata'afa could have put a suitcase down in Ryan Burns' kitchen and told him, I'm going to stay here for three hours. The linebackers were everywhere. The cornerbacks covered well outside of one 25-yard run for McCaffrey, which, by the way, they had bottled up, but because Christian McCaffrey is still Christian McCaffrey, he got out of that and scampered for 25 yards. They had him completely contained. And I know we can't just throw it out, but outside of that, he was held to under 20 yards. That's two years in a row WSU has pretty much put on the highlight performance of containing Christian McCaffrey. The Heisman Trophy runner-up, by the way. Should have won the Heisman Trophy. That was as close to perfect as we have seen so far. That was better than the Oregon game. That was better than the Idaho game. That was as close to perfect as you're going to get. So far. So far. And it is amazing how my perspective, I think everybody, I think it's fair to say, how everybody's perspective has changed in the last few weeks. I admit that even after that Idaho game, I just, I, I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, you're supposed to beat the crap out of Idaho. Idaho is an okay team, not very good, maybe with an outside shot of getting into a bowl, in their second to last year in the FBS. But they're, they're still Idaho. They still have all the recruiting issues that WSU has, except with facilities that Wazoo had in the 80s. So I, I, I didn't know going into that bye week. I didn't know coming out of that bye week, going into it, coming out of it, what the hell was going to happen. But they came out and they knocked Oregon around. Now, UW pretty much proved last week that the king is dead. Long live the king. But even even just for their psyche, even just for their psyche, they needed to do that to Oregon. And just for their psyche, they needed to do that to Stanford. They needed to do that. They needed the confidence that we can go out there and beat anybody. Anybody can come in here and we can beat them. Gabe Marks said that earlier this week. This is not 2012 where we think we're going out there and we're going to lose every game. We go out there knowing we are going to win. They have to think that. They have to play with their hair on fire. Because as Mike Leach said a couple of weeks ago, we're still not a team that can play You know, can play with a lot of mistakes and win a football game I don't think he's wrong I don't think he's ever going to be wrong about WSU in that sense you're probably never going to have a team with the athletes or whatever that you can afford to play football with a lot of mistakes and win football games frequently they made mistakes at Stanford sure Luke Falk's picks were bad really bad that first one was really really bad But, you know, it, WSU is just never going to be in that position where they are a team that can go and go out, run out there with some mistakes and win a football game on a frequent basis. They're almost always going to have to be the team that's going to have to play largely mistake-free. And that's what they did on Saturday. They played Stanford pretty much mistake-free. They played absolutely exceptional football on Saturday. And now you come home to Pullman for homecoming, a very wet homecoming, mind you. And by the way, pack some Gore-Tex, because it is going to be wet on Saturday. You come home to face a UCLA team you beat at the last second in the Rose Bowl last year. And they may or may not have Josh Rosen, who may or may not be completely healthy. And they may or may not have a right tackle, who has a broken foot. And they have the worst rushing offense in the conference. They do not have Paul Perkins anymore. And apparently, when Paul Perkins left, so did their rushing attack. So now they have to throw the football. and UCLA's offensive line is not very good. And right now WSU has a defensive line and a core of linebackers that are playing very 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 good football. Again, where were you a month ago? Where was I a month ago? About a month ago they lost to Boise State. In fact, a month a month to yesterday they lost to Boise State. A month of Monday ago. They lost to Boise State. Close game. I did not think this team was going to be here right now. I admit that. But what Mike Leach said publicly, calling them soft, what he may have said privately, or what any leaders on these team on this team may have said, it has clearly worked. Because they have gotten it together. The last three weeks. Last three games. And I said before the season started. If you can get through the first three conference games at 2-1. and one, You should be pretty happy with that. Oregon, Stanford, UCLA is a tough road to hoe to start the conference year. And it certainly gets easier. Your next five games before you take on Washington and the Apple Cup. But to think that they actually have a good chance now of getting out of these games 3-0 and after the first two weeks that we saw is extraordinary. And it speaks to the level of increased talent on this football team in the last few years and the improvements in their mentality to not get down after those first two losses. They have absolutely beat the crap out of the next three teams they played after those two losses. They took it out on them. They are flying around. And most importantly. It looks like they're having fun. They are having fun. Beating the crap out of football teams. And they got a real good shot. To beat the Bruins this Saturday. Who has a a coach that. I think it's pretty obvious at this point. That. He is intentionally telling players to go after people. I mean, like, is it, am I the only one who thinks this about Jim Moore Jr. at this point? That this has not been an isolated issue with that football team. And Luke Falk may or may not have been concussed. He got cleared to come back into the game last year at the Rose Bowl. But I think he's probably still a little mad about it. And I think the rest of them are probably still a little mad about it. Wouldn't doubt it one bit. And we'll I'll, I'll close with this before we get to a good, really great interview with Jacob Thorpe here. Uh, really great 20 minutes with him. I think you saw a little bit of that coming together in one way. It was really interesting. When Logan Tago was charged earlier this week with robbery and assault for that June incident taking the beer from someone on College Hill, Gabe Marks tweeted to John Blanchett, and Jacob Thorpe, who'd retweeted what Blanchett had a passage from the student conduct book about possible suspension for Tago. Marks tweeted something to the effect, I'm paraphrasing here. And actually, let me see if I can go find it. But I'm paraphrasing here where, you know, he said that, like, what happens if he didn't do it? Here it is. What if the student athlete doesn't do anything wrong? And misses games for nothing. Oh well, I guess, right? Shaking my head. <laughs> there you go. I mean, it... it that is a man who... Stands up. It, it, th- that speaks to that it's us against the world mentality. And if that is what works for them, if they think it is them against the world, good. Good. Because when Mike Leach goes out and defends his football players to the media against what the P- Pullman Police Department's doing, and then charges are filed against Shalom Lawani. when he says these guys are targeting my football players a week, a day after he calls them soft, do you know what he's setting them up for? In PG-13 language, screw you, screw me, screw everybody else. Who cares? Go out there and hit someone. Who gives a damn what everybody else thinks? That's what it sets them up for, and that's how they've been playing these last few weeks. And they're going to hopefully continue it again this Saturday against a team that, frankly, I don't really like their coach. And I don't really like them. And I don't really like their fans either. We'll talk to Jacob Thorpe about the team a little bit more and about the upcoming game against the Bruins when we come back on the Coop Center. This week's edition of the Coop Center Hour, following that rousing defeat of the Stanford Cardinal, uh, he of the can't can't uh, and is prevented from making a deadline for a solid month because of kickoff times. Uh, Mr. Jacob Thorpe from the spokesman review, who covers Washington State, friend of the show. Uh, you, you 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 love these late kickoffs, don't you? You just absolutely love them. You get an, you get 7:30 this week against UCLA. You get seven o'clock the next week against ASU. You just uh, you got to be in love with this.
2: Well, I, I will be honest. I was actually pretty excited about the ASU uh, kickoff. Once I remember that I'll be flying from basketball media day to Tempe at about eight in the morning on the uh, the day of. So that that gives me a little time to uh, you know check into a hotel, grab a quick snack, and get on down to the stadium. But you know, Michael, uh, with the way uh, journalism is kind of moving, the the late deadlines aren't quite as uh, much of a bear mm-hmm. as they used to be because now we we have to get the, we like to get the game story up online and either way right when the game ends. So it's you know it makes it a little bit harder to get quotes in the paper and to write through but the reality is we're sort of always on that uh, final play deadline mm-hmm. one way or the other.
0: No, that is that is that is true to a certain extent I think there. Uh, you got to uh, you got to talk to the players and coaches today uh, after that forty two set. Well, you got to talk to them after the game, but you got to talk to them again today uh, after that win down in Palo Alto. Did they, did they feel just as good today in uh, their kind of their uh, summation and their analysis of the game just as good today as it was a few days ago?
2: Yeah, you know it's a, it's a pretty buoyant team right now. They they know they're playing well. They. They've really had a very good month uh, when you include the bye week. They've they've scored 149 points. The the defense is playing very well. And, you know, I think they feel like they're in a rhythm. They know what works now. Uh, They can sense that uh, they're sort of on top of their game and that they're on top of the Pac-12. You know, it may have felt like they dug themselves a big hole with those first two losses. But really, with the exception of the college football playoffs, which, you know, they they probably weren't going to play in.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's nothing that's not on the table for them now that wasn't on the table for them at the start of the season. They're, yeah. they're going to still go to the same bowl game
2: either way, and, and most likely, um, you know, if they can still finish with eight or nine wins, then, you know, they can really uh, set themselves up for a, for a really big bowl game and have a really big season.
0: And mm-hmm. I
2: think they feel like that's, that's what they're pointing toward right now as long as they can uh, keep building and, you know, kind of keep on this rhythm that they've
0: found. We did find out uh, one thing on Monday that was that uh, Logan Tago is being charged uh, with second degree robbery, which is a felony. There is actually no misdemeanor charge for robbery in this state. Uh, and fourth degree assault, that is a misdemeanor. Uh, Mike Leach says he's going to do everything he can. If it's up to him, Logan Tago is going to play on Saturday. Uh, but we think that athletic department policy says that even if the case has not been resolved and he's charged with a felony, he cannot play, Correct
2: right there, there's two policies. There's sort of a student conduct policy which says that a uh, student athlete, once he's been charged with actually any anything criminal, doesn't even have to be a felony. He's suspended until the uh, until the case is over. And then there's the uh, student handbook, the athletic department's handbook that says, which does have this sort of extreme circumstances out. Now they probably have to feel pretty strongly that a player was innocent before using that extreme circumstances out. Mm-hmm. So Mike Leach you know, did say today that he's probably going to fight for his guy. So we're, we're, we're not 100% sure that he's suspended, but it seems very likely that he's going to, to miss the, at least the next two games. And then he's got a court date the day before the Oregon State game, which is a road mm-hmm. game. So when it, could, it might be kind of tough for him to, to get down there if he were uh, either way allowed to play. But it, one also kind of has to think that if if he was able to play against Oregon State and he was found innocent, that they'd probably find a way to get him there. Mm-hmm. But he, either way, you know, he's a, he's an important player for him. He's not a, necessarily a star player, but he started against Stanford. He had a sack. It, it is certainly uh, not great for the Cougars to take a hit along their uh, defensive line or a, their linebacker depth.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: But it, it's not quite the same impact as when Shalom Lawai. was suspended
0: for the opener. Mm-hmm. We got to see kind of a, not a different side of Gabe Marks. I mean, this is pretty much who Gabe's Marks is. He's a kind of a little mix of Mike Leach and himself. He's just kind of a vivacious guy when he's talking to the press. And he seemed, you know, he, he loves to answer questions. He loves to tell you what he thinks. And he is very, very honest about stuff. And one of the things I think he said today is that they, they aren't in that 2012 mentality of, we don't think we're going to win a football game. Have you kind of, I mean, you've been covering this team for a few years now. Have you seen that kind of mentality? Just, you know, from, I guess, your read of it and your sense of it. Have you seen that shift from when you started covering the team a few years ago to how it is now?
2: Yeah, well, you've seen it and you still kind of see it happening because at the start of the season I think they they had won a bunch of games last year and the returning players and the starters and they, they knew they could win and they certainly got rid of the Oh, we're probably not going to win mentality, but it was still sort of a we hope we're going to win or some something will happen that allows us to win. You know, uh, coming off of last season, if you're just some random player in the two deeps, you've seen guys like Luke Falk and, and Gabe Marks and really, you know, kind of time and again bail you out and win the game when it looks like you were probably going to lose a close one at, at Oregon, at, at Rutgers, at, at, at UCLA. You know, you saw these guys find a way to get it done, and maybe a lot of the players uh, were just sort of hopeful that someone would go make a play. Mm-hmm. And what you've seen these last three weeks is you've seen sort of an evolution where now everyone on the team wants to just go beat the other team, go beat them up. It's not about winning a close game. It's about just keeping uh, their, their foot on the gas pedal and, and doing what needs to be done for, for an entire four-quarter game. Mm-hmm. And when they look up at the uh, scoreboard at the end, well, they don't need to beat anyone on the final play because they're up by 20. So you know, I think you're certainly kind of seeing a mentality develop. Uh, they've never totally had that killer instinct, that edge, but we've seen it for a month now, and if and if that's what the uh, you know if that's what the team has and can carry forward and can go into next season and not have to sort of relearn those lessons, well then maybe we'll we'll finally see a win in the season opener.
0: We, one of the other things I think, Jacob, you talk about you, you know they, they've finally developed that instinct. I think you know Oregon and Stanford are not the Oregon and Stanford we have known for the last decade or so they just aren't those teams anymore but to still go out and beat them both by a combined something like almost 50 points I mean you know a pretty substantial margin uh just between the two of them that had to feel really good for them to know that they they've pretty much slayed those proverbial dragons and that even though you have a University of Washington team that is in the top 5 that Stanford and Oregon are no longer the kings of the North, and that Washington State has legitimate chances to win uh, a division crown um, if they can play harder and if they can, you know, go through the whole Pac-12 season with just one loss.
2: Sure, and, and like you said, it's, it's not Oregon and it's not Stanford as we've known them over the last decade. And both of those teams were coming off sort of these gut check losses to, to Colorado and to Washington. That. You know the the cracks started to show in the program, and you've got to think that there was some inner turmoil there. But that said, those are the two programs that have all the really really good recruits and 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 have that history, and at least at the start of the season or at the end of last season, sort of had that culture and mentality that has allowed them to win so many games. Now both of those teams have two losses, and, and like you said, uh, you know okay, California just lost the game. There's really only two teams in the North right now that seem like they have a, a, a good chance of winning it, and that's, those are the Washington teams. And mm-hmm. all of the, the Huskies have looked very good, and they obviously have matched up well with the Cougars the last few years when there's only two teams that really have a chance to win this thing right now. And you're the team that gets to play that game at home. I, I do think you're, you're feeling like you know there's some magic can happen and something
0: might be brewing. Luke Falk looked pretty good on Saturday, Jacob. I think certainly improving from where we saw him at the beginning of the year where he was a little tentative again like he was at the beginning of 2015. But those picks he threw were two really bad interceptions. Um, just in you guys talking to him after the game, I don't know if you got to talk to him on Monday at all, but did he talk about those picks at all? Because it, 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 those seemed a little out of character for him, especially that first one. There was just nobody around for him to throw to when he threw it straight to the Stanford defender. Yeah, well, the, the first one looked like you threw it straight at the ref. But, yeah. uh, I, you know, I, I think those were uncharacteristic
2: throws. But over the course of 40 to 50 throws, there, there's going to be some gut. And Stanford's a team that, uh, you know, may not be Stanford, but they've still got players who are going to make you pay when you, when you throw some bad ones. But I, I think ultimately – uh, they're much more concerned about the 40 or so good passes he threw. And really these last two games, he, he has looked very good. There, there were certainly some issues early in the year where he was kind of like, man, you know, the fault doesn't really look like a returning first-team all-conference pac quarterback. He looks sort of tentative. But, you know, maybe being a little less tentative is what leads to some of those head-scratching throws. But it also means that he's playing very decisively and, uh, you know, he's, he's looking at River Craycraft on that uh, first drive in the third quarter when he hit him on back to back big plays. And, and ultimately, I think the most important thing we, we saw with Hulk is that after those interceptions, he bounced right back. Or after he took that shot to the head and had to leave the game for a play, he came back and, and led him on another touchdown drive and found Gabe Marks in the end zone. Mm-hmm. So while there's, you know, they haven't been perfect, I don't know that you. Saw Falk do some of that stuff earlier in the year. When he threw the pick six against Boise State, you know the offense didn't come back humming. They spent the rest of the half unable to to really get anything. So it was a it certainly wasn't a a perfect game by any stretch, but really it was just two bad passes in the uh,
0: midst of a forest Mm of good ones. Oh, we'll talk about two guys uh, in particular first I want to touch on River Craycraft a little bit Jacob uh, you know he'd been having a quietly pretty okay year leading into that Stanford game and then finally we saw mr. third down again we saw the guy make an amazing catch uh, in in the end zone against Stanford when he was getting interfered with it was just a superb catch um, him him coming and re-emerging for this football team is pretty important right because you do have very talented receivers in Gabe Marks. Tavares Martin's coming on very strong this year, but having that security blanket is something that not only Luke Falk has counted on, but Connor Halliday has counted on the last few years in that senior receiver in River Craycraft.
2: Yeah, well, the, the Y is a very important position. It does a lot of your your meshes over the middle, it does a lot of those uh, crosses a little bit further downfield, and it does a lot of that stuff uh, going towards the sideline. It's a very important part of the offense. You know, River's had a a weird couple of years. Craycraft, he's had uh, an, an injury here, an injury there. He hasn't necessarily always been right, but he's tried to fight through it. But as those things have happened, uh, you know, other players have stepped up, or perhaps the the coaches weren't giving him as much time. And I think he, he's a player that uh, th- those things unsettled him a little bit. And you, you've heard Leach talk about how Craycraft's a player who just needs to keep a clear and uncluttered head. Mm-hmm. I think that's what he's referring to. I think the fact that uh, Craycraft, you know, junior year didn't necessarily go the way he wanted to. The the fact that his uh, you know sophomore year opened with that uh, that punt against Rutgers that didn't go very well. Mm-hmm. you Saw him kind of wear that on his chin a little bit. You know, he he is a player that uh, takes takes the game very seriously, cares very deeply about it, and when things aren't going his way, I, I think maybe. Uh, in Leach's opinion, it it clutters his head too much. And and I think that's what he, in Leach's opinion, was sort of happening earlier uh, in the first few games. Mm -hmm. But to to have a game like that, I mean, that was, you know, classic vintage River Craig Craft. And, you know, he was making nothing but big plays. And you're right, that, that really just does add a whole lot to the offense because he is a player that when you need seven yards on third down, he'll run eight, he'll be right, he'll know exactly where he is on the field and he'll make a tough catch in traffic that
0: keeps the drive alive. I also want to touch on uh, Hercules Mata Afa, Jacob. Uh, I Jacob. The kid, again, second week in a row, just has an absolutely monster football game uh, against the Stanford offensive line that, again, is not the Stanford of old, but it is still the Stanford offensive line. And last week he dominated Oregon's offensive line, and this week he just took it straight to Stanford. Uh, this kid's emergence... He kind of disappeared the first two weeks of the year, but these last three weeks against Idaho, Oregon, and Stanford, how important has that been for this WSU defense? Because we knew there was going to be a small drop-off with Destiny Viau and Daryl Paulo uh, graduating, but him him stepping up has to be the biggest key for this defensive line so far this year. Well,
2: well two things have happened, Michael, and, and I think one is that uh, even though he was getting double-teamed and stuff like that last year, I I don't think he necessarily... Uh, was being targeted by other offenses in the way that he has been this year where he really is the only guy that they knew they had to account for on tape Mm -hmm. uh you know you didn't have destiny mayo anymore you didn't have daryl palo but other offenses have keyed in on him as a player they had to stop and i think it takes anyone who sort of uh any player uh who has that happened to kind of becomes a star they have to get used to other teams treating them as such. And that sort of plateau you saw with him realizing just how much harder he has to work now, how much uh, more aggressively he has to play to sort of have that same impact. It's why you see guys like um, Jadavion Clowney has, you know, umpteen sacks his sophomore year in South Carolina. The, the next year he doesn't have very many, but he still goes number one in the draft because NFL teams know that he was having just as big an impact by getting blocked. But the other thing I think you're really seeing is the emergence of Garrett McBroom, the junior college defensive mm-hmm. end from Oklahoma. Hall. It, it took him a little while to get going, as one would expect. But he's been playing a lot. He's been starting and he's been these last two games. And he's been playing really well. He's not much of a pass rusher, so he's not someone that you're going to see his name pop up a whole lot uh, if you're a, a casual fan or if you're listening to the radio. But he's really playing well, and he's making an impact. And I think he's having some of that same Destiny Daryl Paolo effect and that, uh, by having two guys on the defensive line who are playing at a very high level it's allowing uh, the, the pass rusher the one who really can get to the quarterback and Mataafa to uh, have a lot
0: more production and have a lot more success we'll touch on this one last thing uh, before we let you go Jacob uh, you, you get UCLA coming in this week uh, Josh Rosen may or may not play if he does play he might be hurt Uh, UCLA's right tackles, probably out with a broken foot. They can't run the ball. This is probably another, you know, I said before the season, if you can just get two out of these first three games in the Pac-12, which at the beginning of the year stacked up to probably be your hardest chunk of the schedule, they've already gotten two, and now they have a chance to get three, and it's looking likely that they can get three. Uh, Did we see this coming at this point of the year? I mean, you're going to probably get a UCLA team that's a little hobbled and a little down, but... This this after what how you started the year and even before, it was pretty hard to see three wins coming in these three games, and they have a really good chance to do it again on Saturday.
2: Oh, I think that's very true. I, I wrote in today's paper that uh, a, a rational person would have said that if they could go two and two in their first four games, because at, at Arizona State is all tough trip. They won there ninety seven, I think. Maybe 2001. I'm, I'm kind of mixing up years in my head here, but uh, it's been a long time since they won in Tempe. So I, I said that if they can go two and two in the first four games, then they were setting themselves up very well to have a a winning Pac-12 record and a successful season. Because anytime you can go five or four better in the Pac-12, you've, you've accomplished a hard thing. And uh, you know, right now that two and two record is the worst case scenario.
0: Mm-hmm. That's
2: uh, that's the worst it could possibly go. So. Uh, they've certainly uh, salvaged whatever uh, whatever kind of bad season it looked like maybe they were pointing towards when they started off zero and two. Right now, you know, I, I think you'd have to think that anything less than a you know six conference wins would probably be a bit of a disappointment considering how the season's going. And uh, and it's still going to be tough. You still got to play at Colorado.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: Oregon Oregon State proved that it has at least a couple teeth uh, by beating Cal, but. Uh, I, I think right now they're setting up very well. And I think fans should be excited. I think UCLA does look pretty darn beatable. Um, obviously, if, if Josh Rosen plays, that has a huge impact because while he may not have had the season many people expected from him, he's still got that arm. He can still, if you have a busted coverage 50 yards downfield, he can get the ball to the receiver before the cornerback can recover. and He, he can just do some stuff that very few other quarterbacks in the country can do. But if he doesn't play, then you know it really could get pretty easy for the Cougars all of a sudden. Because, like mm-hmm. you said, they can't really run the ball. Um, their defense has not been exceptional. So at this point, I think three and O looks likely. Four uh, and in the Pac-12 looks not unlikely at all. And if you're four and in the Pac-12 and you still got games against uh, you know Oregon State, Cal, Arizona coming up, yeah, I think you feel pretty good about where you're going to be heading into uh, what just shaping up to be one
0: of the great apple cups ever jacob thorpe from the spokesman review just making me more confident and making my fall from the cliff even bigger inevitably thank you sir thank you for having me Here on the Koog Center hour and we had a devil of a time trying to find someone to talk about the Bruins this week, uh, just through my own crappy ability to schedule. But I know a man who has done much larger things this week, like being on SB Nation Radio, and he loves coming on to talk about his favorite person in the world, Jim Moore Jr., Mr. Jeff Newser is here. You you're not you're not gonna completely cheat on me with like better radio shows, right? In the future. This is this I'm still your favorite, right? Of course you are. And really? This, I mean,
1: this okay. is way more prestigious than SB Nation Radio. I mean,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, for one, for one, hey, stop barking!
0: Hmm.
1: My dogs barking. <laughs> like, get off the phone and play with me. I've been gone all day. No, this is way more prestigious
0: than SB Nation Radio. For one, you've been around long, so that's true. That's that is it. true. And I and I yeah. I get I get your dog barking too. I get I get I get yeah. I get your dog, and I say your name right.
1: Yeah, yeah. That's See? you know, it's funny. Sometimes I remember to, like, tell them, you know, that, hey, this is how you pronounce my name, and then sometimes I don't remember, and then that's when I get people saying, like, Nusser and at Nuss and I'm like, yeah, whatever, it's all right. <laughs> I don't know, I mean, I was like, I was probably like 14 or 15 when I finally stopped, like, correcting teachers, you know, on the first yeah. day of school. That's her? and I'm like, yeah, whatever. That's me. I don't care. You know, does it really matter? It doesn't
0: really matter. So. Well, now you're now you're a teacher, so you can just return the favor and screw everybody's name up for all the time. So that's that's, that's exactly really, it. you did you did a good job just like coming around full circle on that one. So
1: I, I tell my students on the first day, you know, I, I'm probably going to screw up your name, and so when I do, please don't be offended, and uh, everybody will get
0: along. So. There you go. Uh, I talked about this a little bit uh, in the opening, and again a little bit with Jacob Jeff, but it, I. You look at the first two weeks of this year, and I said this last year, they got to 3-2 and two in a really weird way, and they did it again, didn't they? I mean, if I had told you before the season started that they'd be 3-2, and two, and I told you that wins would be over Idaho, Oregon, and Stanford, you probably wouldn't have believed me all but that that Idaho game, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's totally bizarre, right? It's, you know, it, not only that, so I mean, not only is it completely bizarre the way they got there, but... You know they just it's like a, a switch flipped you know i mean I, the, the first performance was the first game was pretty terrible defensive performance uh second game was sort of yeah both sides were kind of so so i mean the defense was okay but like mm-hmm. certainly not they didn't look like world they kind of looked like boise state was beating themselves you know and then you know the first half of idaho was kind of eh, you know i mean it. And even when we got to the end we were like well you know needed a special teams touchdown and you know it's but you know these last two games have been you know incredible and i think it i think they've you know realized all of a sudden it's like they kind of figured it out you know the potential that uh, that they had i think, you know brian floyd wrote about how this team is on script you know he likes mm-hmm. to say they're on script and it's like yeah i mean it's just like last year playing out except you know, a little bit faster, right? It was after the fourth game last year that they kind of figured some stuff out, and this year it kind of happened after the third game. And then, um, you know, they look better now than they did, you know, a year ago at this point. Where we look at them, and go, you know, I mean, beating the absolute tar out of Oregon and Stanford, and I don't, you don't care how down you think those schools are. I mean, the week before we crush Oregon, Colorado barely, barely, barely beats them in Oxford. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's a team that everybody thinks apparently is a top 25 for fringe top 25 team and then um, you know and then Stanford you know I know Washington crushed them the week before but the week before that they needed to come back to beat UCLA you know and so everybody kind of oh you know Stanford's okay I mean you know I mean unless UCLA is just that bad which I guess we'll find out you know on Saturday but Mm -hmm. um, you know I mean I I, I tend to look at this and go like you know these uh, people are I'm kind of seeing people poo-pooed a little bit and be like, "Oh well, you know, these are just bad teams." But I'm like, eh, you know, I think I think this is more Washington and Washington State really playing really well right now. And I'm, I mean, I'm kind of looking at Wazoo and I'm thinking, I'm not sure there's a better team in the conference right now outside of Washington than, than Washington State.
0: I, I I have a hard time disagreeing. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, you, the two best teams in this conference are in this state, and again, it, it's it's kind of weird to think that, given where they were at the beginning of the year, that right now at two and zero in conference, looking at a Pac twelve South that's likely to eat itself alive, they control their own destiny for the Rose Bowl again, and this is that that's where we are right now, and I realize we're still you know, a month and a half away from that being, you know, an, an issue that's directly in front of your face, but they do. They do control their own destiny for the Rose Bowl, and I, I, I shudder to think that after the first two weeks of the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and not only that, but it's, it's not even just a, well, they control their own destiny. I mean, it's like there's probably, I mean, obviously I haven't looked it up. There's, there's probably other teams in the Pac-12 that can say that, mm-hmm. you know, like, especially in the Pac-12 South, you know, where you've got all these teams and team can look at it and go, well, you know, if we win out, we'd be, you know, in the Rose Bowl. And it's like, okay, but, you know, how many teams really feel like, oh, you know, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And right now you go, okay, well, the three toughest teams on your, on your schedule that you circled right off the bat were Washington, uh, Stanford, and Oregon. Well, you've already beat two of them. You know, you beat the tar out of them. Um, and you don't play Utah, you know, so yeah. it's like, I mean, you kind of look at it and go, well, you know, I mean, that game in Tempe is always going to be a buck. You know, to me, that looks like kind of a number one, uh, you know, spot for, for you know, a slip up to happen for the Cougs. And I'm not saying it's likely they're going to run the table, but at the same time, it's kind of like, I mean, is there another team outside of Washington that feels good about their chance of running the table? The answer is no. And I'm thinking, okay, well, who who's left that maybe you feel, you know, the best about that, if we were trying to say, you know, percentages, probabilities, I'd be like, you know, Wazoo's got to be probably mm-hmm. up there as one of the teams that you'd say, yeah, they could go on a run. You know, they could for sure go on a run.
0: Yep. So. I want to talk about UCLA a little bit, uh, Jeff. I, they're coming into this game. Was, this was a team you managed to beat last year on a last-second touchdown pass, and I answered Gabe Marks' question. That was my favorite touchdown catch of his uh, so far in his career was that one to beat UCLA, but – a a team you know you're capable of beating and that, quite frankly, right now looks like a shell of what they were last year without Paul Perkins. They can't run the football. Josh Rosen may or may not be completely healthy. At the very least, it sounds like he's not going to be completely healthy coming into this game. Uh, It's going to be pouring down rain. Their offensive line can't protect anybody. It's kind of hard to not feel good about this one after the performances they've turned in the last couple of weeks.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, it's you know, like like you said, you know, it's a team they've already beaten. Um, it's a team that hasn't looked that good. They're banged up. Um, not only that, they're coming to Pullman on a cold, potentially rainy, you know, Saturday night, which uh, historically has not been a good situation for UCLA. Because, you know, as Leon Bender once put it, you know, players go to Westwood to get soft. You know, so coming north to Pullman and and playing in that cold, you know, Jim Mora does everything he possibly can to uh, convince himself and convince his players that they're really tough guys and it's like you know they're just they're not and so I think that uh I, you know I really really like WSC's chances to not only win this game but but really win it going away I mean I'm not sure you know after being up so high the last couple of weeks if if they've got another you know three or four touchdown victory in them but be, uh, i would be, you know, I almost kind of see this one potentially playing out like the game against Arizona State last year, um, where you know, I mean, they, they, you know, they're coming down off a little bit of a high, but you know, ultimately the better team wins by a couple touchdowns.
0: Now I know I know you're Jim Mora's biggest fan because it's pretty much been proven. I, I know I don't want to say proven, but we get we get more and more evidence over the years that this guy's attitude towards player safety for the players on the other team is is just not that good between the fact that Francis Owusu is still dealing with a concussion from that targeting penalty that I'm still angry I have no freaking idea how they got that wrong uh and last year with Luke Falk after he came back in the game guys lunging for his head these are not the only data points we have on him is it kind of reasonable to assume that Jim Mora tells his play I mean I, I try to stay away from the hot takes on this show but is it reasonable to assume that the Jim Mora teaches his players to do this
1: yeah I think it is I mean I you know look I I don't think he's an idiot so I doubt he you know runs around and tells people to please hit other players in the head yeah but at the same time I mean I you know I'm sure he's kind of doing hey we we don't play to the whistle we play to the echo of the whistle wink wink and if we get a chance to hit someone hard we're gonna hit them hard wink wink right guys wink, wink, you know, I mean, I'm. I mean, just when you see this pattern of behavior with a coach and his players, or, or sorry, when you see a pattern of behavior with the players, and then you hear, you know, the rhetoric that's come out of the mouth of the coach, and I think that's kind of the bigger thing. It's like, look, you know, Stanford's been a hard-hitting team for years, right, under David Shaw and under Harbaugh, you know, and so they go out, and this weekend, you know, there's a cheap shot on Luke Falk, but I'm looking at that, and I'm going like, like that's not a pattern of behavior, you know, they've been... Mm-hmm. Probably the hardest-hitting team in the conference for the better part of a decade, and yet it's always been clean. It's just you know good physical football. With UCLA, it feels like we're trying to prove how tough we are mm-hmm. by taking cheap shots on people, and you know that comes from the top. And you know, I, I you know I joke around on the site, but I call Jim Mora a fake tough guy. You know, and it's like <laughs> you know he's a fake tough guy. He you know he he goes after people who you know, are easy targets. I mean, heck, I'm a Seahawks fan, and I remember when he was coaching my team and he started going after a kicker, right? You know, because the kicker missed a field goal, a crucial field goal. I mean, you know, that's just the kind of thing that he does. You know, he yells at people, and college is perfect for him because he's dealing with, you know, teenagers who he can, you know, yell at as much as he wants and whatever, but still it's like, you know, he's just, he's so, you know, he just talks a lot about being tough, but it's like, You know the 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 team is sort of picked up on that fakeness where it's like we're going to prove how tough we are by taking cheap shots instead of just literally being tough. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: I think that's a real you know telling thing.
0: We talked you talked a little bit about uh, the difficulties with ASU, and we'll we'll leave it off here with uh, this question. I mean, you know, I I don't know what the bugaboo is in Tempe for teams in Washington, but there seems to be one there. Uh, You get out of this game against UCLA if you can win it, you're at four and two. Um, you at least gotta feel pretty good at a bare minimum for this football team to get back to i would say at least las vegas bowl sitting at four and two and staring at what is the easier part of their schedule don't you
1: yeah i mean you know like i said it's you know when we start talking about you know could this team This team controls their own destiny and a lot of times that's just sort of like oh well, you' two games at the conference season i mean of course like a lot of people right but like like we said you know i mean it's You can look at the schedule and say, you know, I mean, look, they're not pushovers. I mean, that trip to Boulder is looking like it'll probably be a tough game towards the end of the year. And, you know, I mean, it's not like there's a bunch of cakewalks in there. You know, Oregon State suddenly looks like maybe they're not as horrible as they once were, you know, but Mm -hmm. then you got Cal who's you know, dangerous, right? I mean, their defense is is tremendously awful, but they've got a really dangerous offense. And so, you know, you just kind of go, all right, well, you know, WSU, is probably better than those teams. Okay, you know, is are those all cakewalks? No, but you go. Well, I mean, nothing's going to be a cakewalk. So, you know, yeah, you do feel pretty good. You know, you beat UCLA, a team that you know is physically talented. I think that's kind of the thing here.
0: Mm-hmm. You, you
1: know that UCLA is a physically talented team. So then you start going, okay, well, you know, you beat that physically talented team. All of a sudden, now you're, you know, playing a bunch of teams that are probably, you know, inferior in terms of talent. You know. <laughs> In large measure, <laughs> one of my kids just one of my kids just slammed the door and a decoration fell
0: off. See, anyway, no nobody gets yeah, this yeah. on SB Nation Radio. You don't get this on the national shows. Damn it! That's, that's exactly it. You don't get barking dogs and children slamming doors. My neighbor mowing their lawn. My neighbor, my head. neighbor, literally fired up the lawnmower like two minutes ago. <laughs> like, like this is hilarious yeah. she she has not won't okay look I be the best on the kooks I, are I do not care if this is a recorded show or whatever and I, I'm, I don't edit things because I'm real she has not mowed that's her right. lawn in a month and a half she knows it's going right. to pour rain all week and she just now fired oh my god dear lord that's right anyway
1: anyway yeah you know you do feel pretty good I mean I think that's what we're getting at you know you feel you get past this one you know you feel pretty good and you know, the good news is, I know I kind of mentioned it, you know, they might be, you know, primed for maybe a little bit of a letdown or something, you know, after really focusing on those last two games, but, um, you know, there's a certain element of it where you also go, well, it's homecoming, you know, and the place should be, the place can be full, you know, yeah. unless the weather's really bad, which, you know, that could do a little bit of damage to the to the attendance, but, you know, more or less, it should be full and it should be excited and, you know, the atmosphere should be good, so... You know, and I think this team is—you uh, know—I think they're determined. I think they, you know, they—they—they want to put all those ghosts behind them. They want to prove that last year wasn't a fluke, and you know, they figured some things out. Hopefully, they'll be able to, you know, get past the distraction of having Logan Tago suspended. I think, you know, that obviously is not good, but yeah, um, you know, at the very least, they, you know, they should be uh, should be ready to play come Saturday night.
0: Lawnmowers, dogs, kids knocking crap off the wall. It all happens when you get Jeff Neusser on the Kook Center Hour and not on SB Nation Radio. Thank you, sir. Bye, man. And thank you to Mr. Jeff Newsome and Jacob Thorpe for joining us again on this week's show. I didn't watch the debate on Sunday night, and I promise we're not going to do anything political here, so just stick with me, okay? Just, I promise, because I've always promised you we'll never do anything political on this show. We will not do that, even in this running up the presidential election, we're not going to do that. But <laughs> on a Sunday night, besides Ken Bone, who looks great in a red sweater, by the way. Not bad for former WSU coach. Uh. Kurt Schilling, uh, got axed by ESPN earlier this year. And I, I, I didn't watch the debate, and that's fine. But I saw this pop up during the debate. They must have been talking about something to do with gun control or something. And. <laughs> Again, we're not gonna get political at all here, I swear to God. Uh. But Kurt Schilling said out a tweet uh, during that time. There is no gun show poophole, you idiot. <laughs> loophole, I believe, is what he meant to be exp- saying loophole. Is what he meant there. I know the letters are close on the keyboard. I know they're very close on the keyboard, pal, but. <laughs> there is
2: no gut show. Poop.
0: <laughs> oh my god, I saw her this week. I don't know why she's just... <laughs> <It's> so funny. <laughs> We're not, I'm not going to tell you, we disagree, agree with it. I don't care what you think. I don't even care what I think. I don't care what anybody thinks. No gun, I, there, he is not wrong. There is no gun show poop hole. Unless, like, your definition of poop hole is like a trench you dig to go to the bathroom when I'm, okay, we're so far off the rails. Ask Michael anything. ask Michael anything. We don't have a gun show poop hole either on this. Enough. You're done. SSFC footy 13. Mark L. Tigre. How much fireball should I consume at homecoming? It's supposed to be quite wet. Uh, and I assume blustery and a little cold. That probably doesn't set up well for WSU passing the football, but then again, UCLA can't do anything on offense really right now, so it's probably all a wash anyway. All of it would probably be a good idea. Add, I can't even read the name; it's too long. Oh, there we go. Toad's McStose Pumpkin Stose Latte. Oh, I hate pumpkin spice lattes. What is your preferred drink for Team Brown liquor? Pendleton or Crown? I like either one. Woodenville's, uh, Woodenville Whiskey Company straight, straight bourbon is pretty good too. I really like that. If I if I if I I can't afford to buy their bottle very often though. So, I mean, not the Pendleton or Crown's that cheap, but either way. At Gillen, 31WW, Stuart Gillen. Gabe Mark's Monday morning press conference was a mix between a cranky old man, smart aleck kid in the back of class, and blank. A kid having a lot of fun playing football. Like, is that, is that kind of a cop-out on my part? But it, that's what it sounded like. He just sounded like, you know, he just sounded like a kid who, is ha- who he likes the attention, which is fine. You know, you you going you to like that attention fine. He just likes the attention of being in a press conference, and he's just kind of all over the place. He's just having fun. That's what it's like. At Random Villain, Ryan, is there any reason to attempt a field goal at any point the rest of the year? I mean, yeah, there will be a point when you need the points. Or, you know, at some other juncture, there will be a point to doing it. I would say late in the game would be a good time. I was kind of hoping one of their drives would stall out late in the game. So Powell could at least try to kick one in a really low let. Like, doesn't matter if you make or miss this dude. Like, who cares? Low leverage, no pressure. Just go out there and kick it to the damn uprights type thing at darn a trip our good friend the creme sports director one beer for the rest of your life Kirk Craig Powers is on staff too and I know he listens to this I think he listens to this maybe I hope pray oh man. probably if I really had to choose probably Langanitas little something something I really like that I love that beer Langanitas little something something it, it, it is it is really good it's, it's really delicious I like that stuff And Mr. Tommy G Man he asks us two questions I'm going to go with my more favorite one if you could direct a 30 for 30 documentary for any Seattle or WSU sports subject what would it be about? I would actually probably do it about Ryan Leaf to be honest I mean I, I think that you know I, I think there's a lot misunderstood about his story and there's a lot of value in in talking about the struggles with drug addiction For people. And I think there's a lot of value in showing people how difficult it is. And what drug addiction can do. And what a bad personality can do too. Or what an off-putting personality can do. I think that would be a very interesting one. His time at WSU and what he's gone through since then. That would be, I think, an interesting show to do. Washington State 38. UCLA 24 for homecoming enjoy homecoming I will be in Las Vegas nice and dry nice and dry and hopefully no water in my basement when I come home have a great rest of your week we'll see you next week on the Coop Center Hour